0: I'm leading the life I wanted, I dreamt of when I was 16. And it's just, it, it's a good place to be in. When you get there, your investment strategies change. Show it's your mindset around what you're willing to do. It's amazing, the value on time, when you switch that over. And it some people do it straight away. Me, it took a while because I saw me as saving money versus spending money. And then I realized if I'm spending money but saving time, that's more value. And it took me a while to cross that threshold and understand the real value of that.
1: What's going on, guys? This is the Passive Wealth Strategy Show, the show that will help you escape the Wall Street casino and build wealth on Main Street by investing in real estate. Today our guest is Gary Spencer Smith, and today we're learning about business owner lessons that helped propel Gary and his real estate portfolio to around 11 to $12 million in property value. Really fascinating lessons from Gary's experience scaling his own portfolio. All the way from the first property which is where we get started and then scaling up to the bigger commercial deals that he's doing these days and we dig into some of the nuts and bolts of it. how to look at a property investment how to look at your business of your property ownership and how to think about it, how to think about the numbers how to value your own time because i'll tell you guys time is the only resource we cannot get more of right and Gary gives us some advice as to how we can get access to more time, but our time, your time in the day, we all have 24 hours and the most successful real estate investors learn how to turn that 24 hours into 48, 72 and even more moving beyond that. So a lot of great lessons in this one from Gary. If you're out there scaling real estate portfolio, out there buying your own properties and trying to figure out how to do the management, how to look at the numbers, how to do the renovation, and so much more. Gary has and shares a lot of knowledge with us today on those topics. So great lessons. You're going to learn a lot. I'm your host, Taylor Lote. I'm a real estate investor, and I help busy people passively invest in commercial real estate, specifically in apartment building and self-storage syndications. If you're interested in learning more and potentially investing with us on a future deal, just go to investwithtaylor.com, fill out the form and schedule a call with me. I will look forward to speaking with you, Ben. If you're an Apple podcast user and you enjoy the show, please take a moment and leave us a rating and review on Apple podcast. I appreciate that so, so much, you guys. That helps other people learn about the show because that helps us rank higher in the Apple podcast ecosystem. People see your reviews and they say, hey, this person learned something from this show maybe I can learn something too. And you know what, you guys, I see your reviews as well. And I appreciate that so, so, so much. That gives me a nice little warm and fuzzy feeling, and I'm not ashamed to say it. If anyone who could use a little bit more passive wealth in their lives, please do share the show with them and bring them into the tribe. No matter what podcast app you use, if you haven't done so yet, look us up, hit the subscribe button. That way you'll get every new episode every Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday. Once again, our guest today is Gary Spencer Smith. And today we're learning lessons, strategic lessons about how to build a real estate portfolio and really run it as a business and look at the numbers as a business. What happens if you can't be involved on a day-to-day basis? What if you're like Gary, what if you're in a, a bike accident, a motorbike accident, I believe is what it was. So what happens, what do you do, right? Is your portfolio ready for that? Big questions. Lot of great knowledge from Gary on this one. Without any further ado, here we go. Gary, thank you for joining us today. Thank you. Thanks, It's Been a great conversation so far for our listeners out there who don't know about you and your background. Can you tell us a bit about what you do, where you come from, and the types of businesses that you're involved in? You got a lot going on. Yeah, so Tiny bit from the UK,
0: Kensky accent. I emigrated to Canada in 2007, used to be in the Royal Navy for 11 years. I Got injured in service, but I'd served all over the world Afghanistan, Iraq, Bosnia. And um, I immigrated kind of a lifelong dream to come live on here. I ended up 20 years later buying a house on the lake doing all that, but I class. But that all came through investing in real estate to start. I'm an engineer by trade. Then I got into managing properties, doing a rental, working with joint venture partners. Uh, my real estate portfolio grew to include commercial properties. And then the last one, not the last one, but the most recent one that became a business, we purchased a Lakefront, five acres with cabins, pub, restaurant. We do houseboat rentals, like the big massive houseboats with hot tubs on the roof. And that's kind of my active business. And then my side hustle, for want of a better word, is our real estate portfolio, which stands around at $12 million in properties right now. But a mix of stuff. But what made it for me, like helped me get out the rat race, was the single family homes on a suite in the basement, Taking your money, moving to the next house, first strategy, someone called it. I didn't always call that at the time I was doing it. It just made sense to me on the numbers. Yeah. That's kind of what I've been doing for the last
1: 12, 15 years now. Awesome. Awesome. So, you know, let's walk through building up your portfolio and getting yourself out of the rat race. Then ultimately, you you do have a considerable portfolio now, and it's just to break the fourth wall a little bit, it's a Saturday afternoon. You and I are talking on this podcast interview, and you're actually at a conference right now for your houseboat business, which means you're, you're still working, you still have that drive to go. And I want to dig into that too, but tell us about building up the portfolio. So it, it happened by accident, not by accident. You know, I was doing the math, and my father passed
0: away when I was 21. And my mom very smartly said to me, buy a house, don't waste the money. So I I had a for down payment. It wasn't a lot of money. There was maybe like 20,000. So I put the down payment on a house. When I moved down south with my military career, I'd said to my uh, wife at the time, you now ex-wife, I was like, look, why don't we rent this out? And she was like, oh, I don't wanna do that. Tenants are a headache. My dad had tenants, they're always a nightmare. So we ended up selling that house, moving down south, which is like a more expensive area. And I was doing the math after the fact thinking, if we just kept that house, rented down here, I'd have been better off 200 bucks a month. And I was like, oh, I'm not gonna make that mistake again. That was stupid. Then you watch a bit of appreciation at the time. This is in the uh, late nineties. So I then, when I left the navy, I decided to keep that house and move to a different place. I did the math where I rented and then rented out. I was like seventy five bucks a month. Bed off, so it wasn't crazy, but it was like cash flow in my pocket when you're living check to check to kids, that kind of stuff. When I emigrated to Canada, sold the house in the UK, bought a house over the end, had my like, you now. The a reasonable amount of I equity and houses were cheaper then. so you could buy a second cloud for 5% down. There were some decent rules. So I bought the second property and the second property was just for my kids to go to college. That was it. I just thought, if well, I buy a house, have a tenant in there for 15 years, even if it doesn't make positive well, like, cash flow but breaks even, the tenant's going to pay the mortgage down. By the time my kids go to college, I'm going to have $80,000, $90,000 sitting there. I was like, perfect. But that just made sense. Then I was going back to England and thought, Oh, I wonder how I can get some cash because tripping in three weeks. There's only me working, your wife, two kids, and Christmas. Was, I knew it was going to be expensive. expensive. Yeah. So I had 20,000 of equity in this house and I thought, ah, I don't really want to sell the house if you the purpose. I approached my cousin at the time. He was looking for a second rental. I said, look, I already have the house. I've got the mortgage. You don't need to qualify. How about we, if you give me 20 grand today, if we sell the house tomorrow, you get your 20 grand first and we split everything else 50-50 after that. Didn't know what a GED was. This was just, it made sense to me. He went, okay. And we did the math. I think it was right, maybe 25 of equity, 20. So he would have made 15, 20% on his money if we'd had to sell the next day. So he was pretty safe. And then I'm on the plane, I'm doing the ROI calculation that I just learned how to figure out. And I realized I made 333% return on my money because I only put six grand down. The year later I got 20 grand back and that was one year and I still owned half the problem. So I was like, wow, how do I duplicate that system? Is that that made sense. And then right. you dig a bit and you read Rich up, you just the process starts, you go to a seminar, you, you get scammed out at 10 grand, you then go back, like you, <laughs> you go on the journey. So, but I never gave up and I just kept going. And then I realized joint Ventures was a way for me to move forward, like legit. And I didn't have a ton of money. I, I was still working in the trades. And then my first JV, we hired a contract to for the base in Sweden. And I just looked at the quality of work afterwards and thought, I can do better than that. So the next GAB, I actually became the GC slash contractor slash carpenter. And I'm an electrical engineer by trade. So I do have skills. It's not like I went to this blind and started, you know, throwing drywall up. And I built myself out at 20 bucks an hour to the GAB. So I got paid cash while I was doing a job. I then owned a percentage of the property. And then we also managed it on completion and we got paid the 10%. So it was actually like I was creating cash flow, creating income. And I was creating wealth, you know, through owning a portion of the house. I did that for five, six years in earnest at, at that level where I was doing two houses a year kind of thing. So we're getting like two, two doors out of each property. Sometimes we do two houses in a year. So we're getting between two and four doors in our portfolio. Once we get like twelve doors, then you start to see a little bit of benefit. You got some reasonable cash flow from the business. And then we basically formed the property management company because we saw that as a there was just a gap in the market. So we started managing some other people's problems on the side. And yeah, it just kind of grew from there. And then we started buying commercial properties. And as soon as you passed five rentals, when you speak to people and they go, oh, you got five? How did you do that? Well, that's just an open invitation to explain. And they'll go, oh, can I do that with you? Sure. Let's go sit and have a coffee, make sure our goals are make sure I understand what's going on. And some people we did and some people we didn't. Whereas now I'm typically get a lot of deals offered to us and we'll just raise the capital. I don't do the work anymore on the properties. I don't like we sold the property management company. Um, I just because we bought the holiday resort and that's the life I love to live. <laughs> in the summer you drive it you drive in a surfboat. People are going out happy. Like, yeah, I enjoy the resort life. So that's kind of my hence we're at this conference this weekend, just promoting the resort. So it's just uh, I'm leading the life I wanted. I dreamt of when I was sixty. And it's just it, it's a good place to be. When you get there, your investment strategies change. Sure, it's your mindset around what you're willing to do. And I'm not willing to give out my time anymore to go deal with toilets and plumbers <laughs> and broken lights and like, I just don't do it. So it's amazing you, the value on time when you switch that over. And it, some people do it straight away. Me, it took a while because I saw me as saving money versus spending money. And then I realized if I'm spending money, but
1: saving time, that's more valuable. And it took me a while to cross that threshold and understand the real value of that. Well, I appreciate that. You looked at it as a business owner, and that's something I'd like to dig into more because I, I do speak with a lot of investors who, you know, they want to property manage themselves and they want to do it on their own because, hey, I don't want to pay a property manager 10%. I'll just save that money. And, and the deal works if I don't have that capital outflow going out. You also mentioned you, you earned 20 bucks an hour to do that contracting work on those properties, whereas again, others might be tempted to say, no, I'll do it for free because that makes the return look better. So let's dig into that and how you realized you need to value your own time. So in all honesty, it, it, it wasn't like I
0: had a, well, I did have an aha moment, but the way that came about was I was riding my dirt bike up in the mountains here on Michael Island and had a pretty nasty accident. Broke my tip and fib in like 15 places, just shattered it in. I'm in the bush by myself, Searching and rescue, had to get me out and oh. I was in a wheelchair for a few months and that whole time, my business didn't stop. We had some staff in the property management. The properties kept going. Sure, I lost that 20 bucks an hour, but my business didn't go because we had people in place. Now, if I'd been a, the solopreneur, the self-employed, I was doing the job myself. With an investor, like I was in the early days, I would have had to go, one, go back to the investor and say, hey, now it's going to cost us money. It may not work out like I said, which you never want to under-deliver. You always want to under-promise and over-deliver. And the second thing is, if I'm hiring other people to do stuff, it means that my time is free to do other things. Now, whether that's, for some people that might be volunteering, some people that might be traveling, other people that might be starting another business and getting up and running. And as soon as you can make Duplicate what you're doing, you've no longer got 24 hours in a day. You've got 48 if you do this two months. You've got, so, you know, it's, it becomes exponential at that point. And if you're using contractors and things like that as well, they're replaceable. People are replaceable. <laughs> you are not. You, you think you are, but you're not. Like if you're in the equation and if, if that's what it is to make the map work, I mean, we've got our property management book out and I tell people in that. And even if you're mani- you've got one house and you're managing it yourself, pay yourself the 10%. Two reasons. First one, the math should work when you pay the 10%. The second one is if something happens to you, you're going to have to pay somebody 10% anyway, so you want to make sure the math still works at that point. Now, the main reason, even if you're doing one house is put that money aside into a separate account, so even though it's it's still one income, put it into this separate account, call it the fun account, whatever you want. And at the end of the year, take your wife, girlfriend, friend, you know, your kids out, go do something fun with that. it will be a thousand bucks, 2000 bucks, 10,000 bucks, depends on how many properties you got. But go do something amazing. And the reason I say to do that is because if you're managing properties, you're going to deal with some crap. You, at some point, if you do it long enough, you're going to have a bad time. You're going to have someone trash the house. You're going to have a leaky hot time. tank. So you've got like, those things just happen. I mean, another chapter in my book was uh, a drug house, a fire, two, two floods, and a dead guy. That was one month about property managing oh, a company. Man. One month. So we dealt with all of that in one month. Well, if you've got nothing to reward yourself with, to feel good about, that's the kind of shit that would make people... Sell up and they're done. Yeah, I'm done. I'm not doing that again. You People walk in and you see it. When I broke my leg, actually in the ambulance, the ambulance uh, paramedic to me, she goes, oh, you're not be able to go to work for a while. And I was like, well, I've got real estate so I, I don't really have to go to work. And she went, oh, I had real estate once but we had a tenant trash the place and it was such a nightmare. I went, oh, okay. I goes, how much time did you deal with, with it renovating it? And so she went, oh, it probably cost us about $8,000 to renovate the place and it took us like I mean, ended up all the time dealing with the tenant, Renault, she went, I don't know, like maybe like five, six weeks in total. And oh, and how much profit did you make when you sold the house? When went like seventy thousand. <laughs> so oh, what's the so problem? Like five to seven weeks, you made seventy thousand dollars. I mean, I can see why you sold, and you could see the <laughs> light go on. And it's like we very often we we make decisions on emotions versus actually just taking a step back and realizing what's going on. And house prices, it's. Even real estate now, we've had some crazy figures over here. I'm like, it's not about the crazy figures. I tell people, if you want to make a million dollars in real estate, this is what we used to say because the crisis brought out. I'd be like, buy four rental houses over four five years, put a tenant in, even if it doesn't make profit, as long as it breaks even every month, pay the mortgage down over 20 years, a million million. It's not rocket science. Like, that's it. We see a lot on TV. We see a lot of this that, that hypes stuff up. But I just think, you know, that's where people get caught in dream and the emotion of stuff. And on the, on the positive and the negative, that's where I think people need to take a step back, realize the value of their time, because you can get caught up in the emotion of doing deals, renting houses. Just, all of a sudden, you've, you've gone 10 years and you haven't lived the life that you love. So our tagline for our company revenue there is use, understand the real risks and rewards of real estate to help it live a life that you love. Because that's what really it should be doing. Buying a house, yes, it might be exciting at the time and stuff buying a house should not be the exciting thing in your life. Going to do some epic shit should be the exciting thing in your life. We go skiing on a Tuesday because we can. You know, it's like, that's what real estate does for me. And that's what it should be doing for people that are listening. You might love your job. And people do. Some people love what they do. Then don't stay doing that. Do more of it. But have real estate pay for your life so you actually can do it passionately without having to do it to put food on the table.
1: So at a certain point you kind of alluded to it, but at a certain point you started smacking so right my mic here. At a certain point you started diversifying your portfolio, adding things other than single families. You got into commercial and all of that. Can you tell us about that transition and then you're also your thoughts about when people, you know, should consider making that transition to add some commercial or different types of asset classes into their portfolios? I think it it's really
0: going to depend on the person, what you're trying to do. With for me, that first property I bought was for my kids to go to college. You don't need ten houses for that. Just buy one, manage that, have it go now, headache free. Now putting into a separate fund with post dollars. Now you've got someone paying for it over yeah. here. If your kids don't go to college, now you buy a Porsche. There you go.
1: Like,
0: <laughs> sure. And I, I'm not saying go buy a Porsche. You know, that's not a good money tip there. But it's. For me, the, the change to commercial was more accidental than deliberate. I, I looked, I think if you get into real estate and you're doing houses, a lot of people's natural progression is they'll buy one, then two, then three, which is a lot of people get stuck. Five people is the next, you know, when I see this stuck line and then 10, and once you get to 10, it's just duplicating the same thing. I think a lot of people that get to those kind of numbers of property then go, oh, why don't I look at multifamily? And they'll start to transition that way. Um, which I was. And then I, then I thought to myself, ah, do I really want to learn another skill? Do I really want to spend the time developing that? Because it, it's, it's another thing you've got to learn about. And there's a lot more complexities to it. And I just thought, yeah, no, I don't want to do that. But then for me, we were at a funeral of all places. And the lady sitting next to said, oh, I'm trying to sell my commercial at the three fronts a 3,000 square foot warehouse mini storage, uh, two massive, you know, what I'll call workshops where you would have like commercial ventures in. It's a 24,000 square foot building. And she goes, I'm trying to sell it. Can you come have a look at it? In? And I was like, sure, I'll look. I'll be in polite at the funeral. And I'm driving down the road. i seen her outside about a week after. I was like, oh, I said, I'd go and look. So I did a U-turn. I went, come on then. Let's have a look at your property. And she's showing me all these different spaces. And I'm doing the math in my head. I'm going like, well, I could rent this for like a thousand bucks. I could rent this for like, a thousand. I could rent this for like <laughs> 100, 100, 100, 100, 100. So I think it was about eight to 10 grand of income up this bill. Like, that's pretty comfortably. And I said, how much do you want, Rich? You went 475,000. Like, I just went, when do you want to deposit by? I, had no, I didn't have the money. Like, I didn't have it. Like, could have just saying, that made so much sense to me. So... I just, so again, learned lessons, I guess we have the taxes over there. It's commercial. You got to pay the commercial tax. I was like, oh, I didn't fucking lock in the because I didn't know about it. We've been doing houses. So all these different things happen. Um, but I basically picked up the phone, phone all the friends said, look, I'm going to put a hundred grand in. Do you want to put a hundred grand in? We raised half a million dollars in about an hour of a phone call. And then we went and bought the commercial property. Um, it is a different ball game. It's took nearly two years to fill it with. It was cash flowing within. probably. I don't know, three months of us doing a bit of work to it. Um, We did get another $200,000 private mortgage after the fact, just to do work. You put a new roof on when you get into commercial, the scale of prices. So the roof was like $7,000. The electrical cost was like $50,000 to upgrade all the electrical. But now yeah. we're set for the next 20 years. So now we've got tenants in. We're raising just shy of $10,000 of income. We'll get the building reappraised. appraised. It's probably going to appraise. Because it appraises differently. It's all about market value, right, with commercial. Uh, it's all through the NOI and stuff. We're probably going to have an appraisal on 1.5, 1.6. And we're into it for under 700,000 right now. So great appraisal on that, uh, great appreciation on that. And we've had it three years now, three and a half years. So it's, and then that made me look at commercial, like and we're talking like industrial office, that, that kind of stuff. Cause I, I like the idea of t- the tenants going. They're less hassle because they deal with all their own stuff. Mm-hmm. And then the other commercial venture I had was a pub, restaurant, and a houseboat company on the lake. It's basically a resort on the lake that I lived at. And it was our local pub. And I was talking to the owner, he was looking to retire. I did the math again on the real estate side of it. I'm like, well, we're getting five million dollars of real estate and assets and he wanted 4.8 for it. So again we went and raised we raised some private capital with some shareholders, formed an old company for the existing company. And then we got a vendor take back on the mortgage for the remainder of the, the mortgage from what we raised. So we have like great terms on that. We just extended the terms actually for another three years. So you know nice interest-only payments while we build and grow the business further. And then we'll look at doing traditional financing in about four years from now. So we've, you know, rented all the buildings, rented the resort, we're doing, the dock. we're doing a lot of capital expenditures. But we're doing that with the money that the business generates from the houseboat side of the company. So it's a, you know, company makes 1.5 a year, has a reasonable net on that as well. And we just use, every time we have a net, we've looked at what capital we can improve, spend on the capital. Now, the model on that is if we're spending a dollar, is it going to increase the value by 1.7? And if it does, we'll spend it. If it doesn't, that's kind of how we're looking at the real estate side. So luckily with a bit of appreciation and what we've spent to improve the on the capital side, uh, that's probably where, I don't know, I'm guessing now without getting an appraisal, it's just a hard one, to the appraisal houseboat, probably around the $8 million mark. Awesome. I would think, I would guess, so uh, nice. we're not selling.
1: <laughs> so with the first one, with all that appreciation that you had, you said you're into it for about a 700. Right now, it'll probably appraise for around a million and a half. At what point do you decide or, or how do you analyze the decision to maybe refinance and pull some cash out or sell it and move on to the next one or or hold on to it? How are you guys... Thinking about that and making that decision.
0: So our initial decision going in was to buy the property, spend 12 months renovating it, get it appraised, refinance, pull some of the money. Out. Mm-hmm. Um, at 12 months, we got an appraisal. At the time, the market wasn't as hot as it is now. The appraiser came in and basically appraised it for the purchase price plus the rentals. And the reason being, we were telling him oh, it's $10 a square foot, which is normal for where we are for the level of building we have. And he didn't, appraised for that. He went and did comparables and give us the average. Well, we're definitely not average where we were in the upper average, but he, he wouldn't appraise it because we didn't have the spaces filled. So at 12 months, we then, that's when we assessed and pulled out some private equity at that point to do carry on the capital expenditures. And then I learned it takes a little bit longer to get commercial tenants, but when you get them, they stay long. Mm-hmm. And we didn't want to do it for undervalued. It was cash flowing already. So we didn't want to just throw someone in it. Because now if a commercial tenant comes in at $7 a square foot, you just devalue the building. So it's got nothing to do with the markets to do with... So we were like, we'll just wait. Someone will do it. So um, that's what we did. We just waited. And uh, now we're filled. We still have a little bit more space, but everyone's paying at least $10 a square foot on a triple net. So that's the value of the building. So now we can go back to an appraiser. And you can't say, "Well, I'm taking the average." It's like, "Well, we're not getting the average. This is what we're getting." Okay, so that makes it, and like oh, makes it. Sense. Yeah. So, okay. and the average. I mean, some of the buildings you took were like a crack house. That's sort of <laughs> like, and I mean, I'm not even kidding when I say a crack house. So it's like, as soon as you throw that in the mix, now your average is being pulled down. I'm like, I'm not even close to average on that. So, yeah. So now we're just like we spoke to the shareholders, and you know, everyone was comfortable where their money was. They knew the values in the buildings so or like. We'll just leave it for a couple of years, and then we'll go back and get it appraised. So uh, we're probably going to do that in the next twelve months. Pull everyone's capital out, and then we'll just—it'll still cash flow, but we'll just leave it as it is in that pipe. Nice. Let it take over. And then our plan is just to every, you know, five to seven years, pull some equity out and
1: go do something else with that equity in the group. Nice. Keep the cash flow going, though. I like that. Yep. Oh yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. I like that. Right now, we're going to take a quick break for our sponsor. The first step to growing your wealth is tracking your wealth, income, spending, and everything else about your finances. You can start tracking your wealth for free and get six free months of wealth advisory with personal capital by going to escapingwallstreet.com and using our link. Create your free account today and automate the way you track your money. Personal Capital is my preferred way to track my finances, and now we're making that available for listeners. Terms and conditions apply. See the Personal Capital website for details. Once again, to get the offer, go to escapingwallstreet.com and use our link. Back to the show. All right, Gary, I've got three questions I ask every guest on the show. Are you ready? Yes. Great. First one, what is the best investment you ever made other than in your education?
0: So the best investment was definitely that first one that I did. It introduced me to so many things. joint Ventures made me calculate the ROI of 333%. I know realistically people can get infinite returns because it's not your money, blah, blah, blah. But that was like an eye opener for me. It just made me think, wow, how do I do that? And that literally started me on that journey of education. So that one gave me the big kickstart and just told me so many things and about raising capital as well It just made me start asking people for for money i wasn't afraid to go ask people for money and and that first one showed me and showed other people that i'm asking money look this is what we can do because we've done it it's not like i'm done a weekend course and now i'm trying to tell someone something yeah
1: it's and it's not like you're selling used cars you're offering a pretty solid opportunity so it's different it's less asking for the money and more offering than opportunity and people can. And
0: yeah. And all my friends and family, we were going to, we were all at the same stage in life. So I'm like, look what this can do for my kid's education. Why don't you do the same over here? You know, like that makes sense. So it's just a making sense to people. If you make sense and make it easy enough, and it makes sense to me and it
1: made sense to everyone around me. And then you just show them the figures and they're like, wow, yeah, totally. Nice. We had the best investment. Now we go to the other side of that coin, the worst investment. What is the worst investment you ever made? So the worst investment was
0: pro. So it ended up doing okay. But as far as like not having my eyes guarded, teeth crossed, my worst investment was definitely, it was in a property with, but I'm not going to say name, it's just in case you hear this podcast. It was with a property with somebody. We went into business without contracts in place, friends, we are still friends. But at the end, it was like what they'd heard and remembered and what we'd heard and remembered two years down the line were two very different things. It probably cost me sixty, seventy thousand dollars in lost revenue. I wouldn't say actually, you know, I didn't have to pay sixty but in lost revenue. And that was more because I valued the friendship than I did the profit. And it was like, Okay, I'm I'm not going to argue over this. There were letters from lawyers at some point and stuff like that. Uh, if we went to court, it would have just it would have been an absolute golly show. So I decided financial reduction on, on what was paid out. We're good now. Everything's fine. But yeah, that was definitely the worst one. I guess because it was the best it made me now do paperwork forever. Like <laughs> huge contracts. But yeah, no, it was definitely... The, that was a stressful time. I was going... I didn't feel good. I felt bad towards the people. And then to feel like you'd just been kicked in the stomach because you know what you felt like you should have had out of that. But reality was I didn't... I didn't do things properly. I skip steps. Things are going on. I do a lot of handshake deals, just so you know, but we follow up with paper
1: now. So yeah, you got to have that paper in place so that memory doesn't become a, a factor. <laughs>
0: yeah, there's, there's the a, one of my mentors that I look up to and he said, it's not called a joint venture agreement or a business agreement. It's called a business or a joint venture disagreement. So when he's disagreeing <laughs> on something, you refer back to it. That's what it is. That's what it says. Mm-hmm. So, because when everyone's agreeing, everything's fine. So now I tell people when I'm going into contracts with them, we have what we use anyway. And I'm like, think of any what if, Like, I don't care what it is. The craziest what if you can think of. What if aliens come down and abduct you? Like, <laughs> I don't care. Because if, if that's something that pops in your head, what we'll do now is we'll figure out what if today, While we're all happy before we start. We'll put it on paper. We'll agree that's the course of action if that happens. And now we will forward. So, you get those agreements down and and people are like, oh, okay, I hadn't even thought of that. And the reason I'll say as well is get um, your contracts in place. Sometimes people will, like I say, remember certain things or they won't ask a question because it's just in their head, but they don't want to verbalize it. So, if you can answer that, because if the answer is no in their head, the answer is no in reality. So, if you can Mm -hmm. answer the question that they weren't even thinking of, you know, uh, we went to a notary with, Two old ladies we did a JV with, or OL older, I should say. And uh, the notary there went, You do know, girls, this and this. And she went, Oh, no, he's already explained all that. We got it in the contract. She's like, Oh, okay. And I was like, Just as well, That's I'd explain that, or else I would have looked so bad.
1: Like, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, he was, yes, uh, yeah. notary was trying to bust you, but you'd already covered that.
0: We'd already had it covered. We already discussed it with him. So.
1: Nice. Nice. My favorite question here at the end of the show is what is the most important lesson you've learned in business and investing?
0: In business and investing, you just take action. Absolutely take steps. Nothing is going to teach you lessons, or nothing's going to help you get results, like taking out. If you don't like the results that you get, change the actions that you're doing. That's it. Simple as that in investing. As far as investing, you don't need to go spend 10, 20, 30, $40,000 to learn something initially. I do spend those kind of numbers now in my education, but definitely at the start, get the free stuff. Great podcast, like you started, some excellent content out there. Then pay small amounts of money to get a bit more in-depth content. Think of it like going through school, you want to get free stuff while you're in high school. (laughs) <laughs> then you're gonna to go to a, you know a, a a little college, do some weekend courses, three month courses. Then if you keep liking it and you keep going, then go to university and spend ten, twenty, thirty thousand dollars and really dial in skill in your craft. But so that's if you're gonna make a career. But action is the biggest lesson I can say take. It's gonna teach you so much. It's gonna sharpen up your pencil, sharpen up your awareness to everything that's going on. I invested in something the other week which I I don't invent. I'm not a big stocks person, I don't do it. Um, but I have an, I have an online Account and I just bought some stocks like a total gamble. I just threw shit at it. I'm like, I'm <laughs> nothing creative, it's like a thousand bucks. But now you'd be amazed how much I watch what goes on with diamond mines. Ah, yeah. <laughs> because impressive. I took the action as a gamble, now I'm looking at what's happening and I don't like, honestly, that's the money I'm, I'm willing to lose at this point in time. But I'm like, hey. I did a bit of reading about it, but now I'm following up what's happening. What? So that action made me start to learn about this process. Now I see why it was such a risk because now I've learned some whereas I would never have went and got that education before. And I really wouldn't. Nice. Nice. So yeah, take some action and I'll make you do it.
1: I love it. Well, Gary, thank you so much for joining us today. Taking some time on a Saturday to record a podcast interview. If folks want to reach out, if they want to get in touch with you, if they want to track you down, if they want to find your book or anything like that, where can they find you?
0: So we can look up our website, revenue, R-E-V-N-Y-O-U.com. People can go to the website. We have a YouTube channel. We got you know about 7,000 subscribers. Please go subscribe to that. There's some great information about managing properties, dealing with properties, investments, joint ventures, raising money, all that kind of stuff. And if you would like to get our book on property management, if you own a property, I would read it anyway. It's about the mindset around, uh, it's called the um, property manager mindset. It's about how to deal with problems as they arise. Uh, that's on Amazon and all those places as well so I'd love it. anyone give us a review on anything like that or stuff if they like it if they don't like it
1: just throw it out Christmas there you go that's even better well <laughs> Gary, thank you once again for joining us today. To everybody out there, thank you for tuning in. If you're enjoying the show, please leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Five stars, if you don't mind, you guys. I appreciate that so, so much. That helps other people learn about the show because that helps us rank higher in the Apple Podcasts ecosystem. And I'm always honest with you guys. That gives me a nice little warm and fuzzy feeling because I get to see that you're engaging with the content and you're escaping the Wall Street casino along with us. If you know anyone who could use a little bit more passive wealth in their lives, please do show with them and bring them into the tribe. Don't forget to subscribe no matter what podcast app you use. And I hope you have a great rest of your day. Take care. Bye-bye.